My name's Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> and you're listening to episode 119 of Cinepunks. That means we're coming and up on 120, man. 120, I know, which is not really sick. a significant number, but I like to pretend it is. It's not. In 300 episodes, it'll be 420, and then at that point, we can watch Half-Baked and uh, whatever, uh, Pineapple Express and all the other ones. That'll be fun. But that's 300 episodes from now, so the world will probably be over there, by the time There is there. no way. There is no way we're going to get to 420 before you have the idea of, let's do an episode where I get high and we watch high movies. Because you've already pitched that to me as an episode, and we didn't do it yet. It's such a good idea. It's still funny to me. But I think that the listen-along commentary, Cinepunk's track of me being stoned and then listen and watching, uh, you know, Big Tour in Little China or, like, uh, Pineapple Express or, you know, a stoner movie. I mean, will people actually push play on their computers to listen to me ramble for the distance of an entire movie as a commentary track? I don't know. I think that's clear that that could happen. What's unclear is that you'll remember to talk for the entire time. I've been getting way better at marijuana, and you don't know this because we haven't hung out when I've been stoned, but man, I am really fucking hilarious on weed. That's just the God's honest truth. First of all, no I mean, one is funny on weed. That is not real. That is, I am, <laughs> I am all for the legalization of marijuana as well as other drugs, and I support people who want to do that with their lives and make weak choices as weak humans. However, <laughs> I will not pretend that when you're high, you're funny. This is, the, this is the, greatest, the second greatest lie the world has ever told, the first being that capitalism helps people. The second one is people who are high are funny. You're not funny. I mean, all I can tell you is that if we were to base this judgment on my Twitter feed, one that you in no uncertain terms have uh, told me I have to have, uh, I believe that the biggest reactions are when I'm the highest. Just saying. Just saying. So, you know, if if there's a metric to measure it, there it is. I don't accept this. It's the truth, though. You don't have to. It'll still remain the truth, Liam. I hate all of this. (laughs) Let's let's thank our patrons, please. All right. Thank you, patrons. <laughs> uh, this episode is brought to you, as every episode, by those who support us on Patreon. Uh, thank you so much to all of you. Uh, we have not really any new people, but um, we have a bunch of people who have like actually kind of reached out and said hi. So I just want to thank them for being a part of that. And we have... Oh, I'm such an idiot. We So we have something for y'all that should be up by the time you hear this episode. And that is an interview with uh, Aaron and um, the director of the Dan. big documentary, Dan. What is his last name, though? That's what I couldn't remember. El- Elswick, I think? Uh, yeah. So um, that's great. It's done. Our awesome sound dude, Jacob, got it done. And then I've just been too busy to put it on Patreon. So I need to get that done. But uh, by the time you hear this episode, it should be up as a, as a bonus on Patreon. I might make it available so that more people can hear it than just patrons for like a week and then put it behind the wall. Or I might not. I haven't decided. So regardless. No, it's Cineween, y'all. So it's a spooky time. It's all kinds of spooky so things that happen. We have we're also. governed by different forces. We have also gotten some Cineween entries. If you know, for those of you who are 
Cinepunks fans know, we haven't been posting as crazy as we usually do around Cineween. Um, hopefully, by the time you hear this episode, it's increased a little bit than what it's been at. But uh, we haven't gotten as many uh, submissions mostly because we haven't asked people directly. Like every year, one of the hardest parts about Cineween is emailing people and begging them, begging them to write something for us. And I do that every year. And uh, this year I thought, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. And besides the fact that I'm sure a lot of the people who I would have contacted would probably feel like I don't want to write something right now because of how the world is. And that's okay. Um, because that's how some of our writers feel as well. Uh, so we definitely have stuff. Um, and we just actually, I think we're putting up something from uh, Brendan Foley today, writing about all the various iterations of the thing, uh, which I think is pretty great. Uh, you know, he watched the original, he watched the Carpenter, and he watched the, the prequel. I guess it's a prequel, right? The 2011 prequel remake. I don't know. I think it's One a, of those. I think it's a prequel because it ends with the with the dog. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's that's going to be great. We have some more stuff coming from some of our more regular writers, including I'm going to be debuting a new column that I'm doing with Brian Christopher, who you probably know from the Daily Dead as well, Daily Dead. as well as being on our 100th episode. Anyways, uh, so yeah, if you have something you want to pitch us for Cineween, by the time you're hearing this, we probably still have a lot of October left. So hit us up. Let us know. Yeah, or if you just have any ideas that you want to pitch us in general, you're always welcome to do so because we're always looking for new content. We're always looking to expand the team, as it were. And um, we, more likely than not, would love to have you, unless you're a jerk. Yeah. In which case, you know, keep it. That's true. If you're, other than that, if, you, yeah. if, you're a, if you're dope. If you're a fascist, you probably want to keep this to yourself. But Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not doing any, like, pro-proud boy, like, no, no. whatever bullshit. Oh, man. Trumper shit. I, fuck yo, all that noise. Yo, I, okay, we'll, we'll get to whacking on track, and then I'm going to have some things to say. But anyways, uh, we also want to, of course, thank LVAC. Um, you know, we... Uh, Get all our shirts printed there. They're basically the best screen printer that you could work with that I can think of. Um, also, Chris Reject. All we do is make fun of Chris Reject on Hard Business. But on Cinepunks, we can be a little more sincere and say that he's actually really supportive and really great. A lot of his ideas are bad, so he'll text me regularly to do stuff on either show, and I'll be like, no, you suck. But <laughs> other than that, he's the best dude, and we love him. And we are really appreciative for printing our shirts. Now, we have a new design that Evan, our friend of the show, Evan Valella did. And we have not sold any of that design. And I get it because people don't have a ton of money right now. But I want to sell this shirt so that we can it's print a deep it. Cut. It's a Because I want cut. one for me. I know. It's a, sh- yeah, a yeah, Shockwaves yeah. thing. And I get that yeah. not everybody knows Shockwaves. But it's so sick. It's such a sick design. It's so dope. I mean, like, even if me and Liam can just make one each for each of us, I'm totally down with that. But man, I mean, someone I, buy this. I, I literally, so we, we don't I, feel... I think I literally only need to sell like nine to justify printing yeah, some. Yeah, boy. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully, we can make that happen. Uh, if not, I mean, eventually, Josh, if it, if it comes to Christmas time and we haven't had the pre-sales to justify the shirt, I'll just pay for it because I just want to hey, have man. that shirt. Yeah, I want it. I don't know. Maybe I can just send Reject a jacket and just have him screen it on the back of that shit. Uh, well, it's it's just all about dope. it's just all about numbers of screen printing, which you guys should know. If you're thinking, well, what should I screen print? Can I even get something screen printed? If you can justify screen printing twelve or more 
of something, of shirts, jackets, sweatshirts. That's within the realm of possibility for Lehigh Valley uh, Apparel Creations. That is a lower number than most of these other companies. And it's at a way more affordable price than these one-off sites. You know, there's a lot of sites where you can send them one picture and they'll print you one T-shirt. The cost on that is like a real kick in the teeth. But if you go start at 12, if you can do more than that, if you are one of these people who's like, actually, I have an idea that I'm pretty sure I can sell 100 shirts. The, the cut, the deep discount you get when you're up in those kind of numbers is amazing like chris reject is bad at money and he he's 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 letting his business fail to give you a, a deal and you should go take advantage of that so the website for lehigh valley power creations is x lvacx.com go there do it you won't be happy. you won't be sad <laughs> uh also we'd like to say thank you to um to our guest and um our friend aaron dalbeck who Runs Essex Coffee Roasters, a new, a new, um, a new uh, sponsor. Oh yes, yes, yes. Well, so we, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll show you guys behind the curtain a little bit. I have been tasked. Well, I didn't. I wouldn't say tasked. I volunteered to do it. But Aaron, he's he does this uh, coffee roaster. They roast basically on demand. So when you order, they roast. And uh, they, you know, he's really invested in doing high quality coffee and getting it out to a broader audience. Because as a guy in a band on tour, he would get bummed how often it was hard to get good coffee. So that got him interested in in doing coffee. So I, working with him, was like, "Yo, let's, you know, because he's having trouble writing copy for us. You know, when you become a a a, a sponsor someplace, oftentimes you supply co- uh, copy." Chris Reject didn't do that because he's not professional. But most professional people would do that. And so I said to Aaron, yo, I'll do it, man. I'll, I'll work with you. Send me the key points, and I'll help you write it. Uh, but we had that conversation yesterday, and I haven't done it yet. So this is a little loosey-goosey. In the future, it'll sound a little bit more on point. But basically, Essex Coffee Roasters, they do uh, – he, he, he roasts for your order. So it's as fresh. You, you basically couldn't get it any fresher if you tried unless you have a roaster in your house there's no way you're getting fresher coffee it's impossible the thing to keep in mind is they also are not one of the things that's really important for, to him for you to know is that this is not about some sort of elitist uh we're coffee we know coffee more than you we we have this whole high level he they essex is about educating people about coffee so if you have questions if you want to understand why there's this is this much money and this is that much money if you want to understand uh, a a blend versus a single origin whatever it is they're interested in helping people know about their coffee and knowing how to brew coffee like if you are someone who is committed to your uh mr coffee that's fine but if you want to learn more about other ways to brew your coffee that might uh, change the way that you experience your coffee, they're about that as well. And I, I think that's part of our attraction, besides the fact that Aaron is awesome and we love him and we love that he's doing this. And besides the fact that I am obviously a coffee addict, uh, I just really ap- appreciate his his commitment to the idea. And I think this this actually really resonates with who we are with Cinepunks, right? He thinks you should be able to have quality coffee Without it being something about um, elitism, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah, that really sure. is part of who we are. Like, fine cinema, fine food, whatever. 
is not about being better than someone else, you know? Just because me and Josh could easily go to one of these fancy-ass uh, uh, restaurants and get, film like... festivals or restaurants. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, we could go to a film festival and watch a ton of, like, uh, upscale French movies. You think we're not watching John Waters when we get home? You think we're not doing a whole episode here on three fucking Fulci movies? Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, you think I don't have a Fast and the Furious tattoo? Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's ridiculous. So, um, I think that's that sort of is in line with them, and and because of that, and because we love Aaron and he loves us, we're working with uh, Essex to offer you guys some some discounts here. So, if you uh, go to uh, the Essex Coffee Roaster website, which we should have that ready to go, which we don't have, but uh, but it will be tagged in the notes. Yeah, it will be tagged in the notes. Uh, and you enter on dis- on your uh, uh, checkout, checkout. You put in C I N E P U N. No X, just C-I-N-E-P-U-N. Oh. oh, no, there is an X. He just wrote it wrong. So just put in right, Cinepunks right, right. at checkout. Uh, you'll get a 15% discount. That's huge. That is, is it 15% huge. or 10%? I thought it was 10 Oh, he wrote 15 twice. So if he meant 10 then these... Uh, these uh, You'll get a discount. Not quite sure oh, it's, it's 15, what the Oh, I'm holding him to 15, man. It's 15%. <laughs> he wrote it twice in these notes he gave me. He told me 10. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Hey, yo, how about this? The first person to get back to us with what what kind of discount you got when you ordered your coffee and you sent me a screenshot of the coffee order that you got and the and the discount that you got, I will send you not one but two Cinepunk shirts and one of the many promo Blu-rays I have that I have not had time to watch. What is it going to so be? Sick. Who knows? Who knows? It's going to be from Arrow, I'm sure. Because that's just, I have a ton of Arrow Blu-rays. So I'll send you something from Arrow. It'll be great. And I'll send you two Cinepunk shirts. If you send us a screenshot of your Essex coffee order uh, and let us know, is it a 10%? Is it a 50% discount? I kind of don't want to ask him now because I just want to find out that way what it is. <laughs> the game is afoot, as they say. I love that. I'm into I it. I love that. I'm into it. So, Josh, it's time for us to do this thing. And I just, I know what it is. I know what we do during this time. But what is it called? Uh, it's called uh, Booty and Looty, right? Isn't that it? Yeah, that's it. This week on Booty and Looty. <laughs> what have you done recently, Liam? That is booty. <laughs> you know what I love about Booty and Looty is that uh, immediately after I said it, I was not sure which was the good one and which was the bad one. I don't know either. It's so good. It's so much funnier than the usual segment of <gasps> whack, whack and on track. Whack and on track. We should do a whack and on track t-shirt. How could, have we not done that yet? Just asking. Just because asking. because you're primarily our t-shirt guy. You know, I get oh. them, I get them printed, but you usually have the ideas. Right. And to be fair, just to let y'all in, we have had now three different designs commissioned that have not come through, where we never got the design back. So we haven't come <laughs> up with any new ideas because we never printed their old ideas. That's partly why right. we haven't had a new t-shirt until Evan finally got us this one, which, by the way, is awesome, and you should go order right now, cinepost.com. It's so dope because we want it really badly. But, you know. Anyways, whacking on track. Liam. What have you done recently that is whack and or on track? Well, I'll tell you what, Josh. I've been watching a lot of stuff for podcasts, which is like not really what I like to do uh, in October. I mean, 
starting in September this year, I was like, I'm going to do Halloween right now. And some of that I did. Like, I did some decorating, although uh, we put um, those sort of like styrofoam grave fake graves in the front yard that was part of our decorating for halloween good time uh i kind of forgot that this area is known as the windy city although i feel like that should be more chicago than the suburbs but uh those johns blew away like no joke just blew away (laughs) we we got we we got them back but but one of them had gone down like three or four houses from our house so that's awesome so now they're in our living room and i'm waiting to, it's closer to Halloween to risk putting them outside because I don't want them to or blow away. Or maybe you should again. weight them down somehow, like bury the bottoms or attach them to undead zombies. The undead zombie yeah. thing could work. It's just more money. Like we wanted to go out of our way a little bit for Halloween decorations, but we're also a bit on a budget. So it's kind of a combo of like what we can do. I think if we bought fake zombie johns, like that would be maybe too expensive for us but i'll 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 look into it i definitely bought some of that like spooky cloth so maybe i could drape them in spooky cloth (laughs) (laughs) the spookiest of cloth it's it's literally called creepy cloth is the name of the product Ooh, i like the product name yeah good name i was like uh okay it was like a dollar and i was like all right i'll give you a dollar for creepy cloth and now that we have it i'm like the fuck do i do with this creepy cloth i don't know what to do with this I guess it's creepy, but it's not that creepy. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a well-known thing that I love alliteration. So, yeah, creepy cloth. Let's do that shit. That shit is dope. Creepy cloth, if you want to sponsor any type of uh, podcasting, we will do it. We're here for you. you. We'll talk about it all year. (laughs) It'll be Valentine's Day. We're like, get your creepy cloth for your your lover. (laughs) The creepiest of cloth. (laughs) Tell them Cinderpunk sent you. Um, Okay, okay, okay. So... I have not gotten to watch as much sort of horror stuff as I would like, but I have done a little bit. And I'm going to hype up some of the stuff I watched for podcasts because then I can also promo the podcast. So, for example, on the next episode of Cinema Smorgasbord, we're going to be talking about two movies from uh, Toronto International Film Fest. Uh, I think it's called Midnight Madness is there sort of genre section. Uh, so we picked two movies from their 1991 festival and those movies are uh, children of the night and the borrower and here's the thing josh these are two horror films that played a major festival that i have never fucking heard of in my life i've never heard of either of these movies and so i was so excited to watch them and i was not disappointed um children of the night is a fangoria production which is like holy shit i didn't even know that they made movies um the guy who's it, the main character's in it, I forget his name, but I don't want to look it up because I don't care that much. But I believe he's uh, the beefy guy from 21 Jump Street is the main dude in it. I don't know. Oh, the the the, the white dude? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I don't know. And name, it's, a, I'm it's like a small town vampire thing. But these vampires are like gross. They're like super grody. Like instead of just like, oh, I'm in the dirt, they like. Uh, they sleep in weird, uh, like cocoons that they s- puke out of their mouths, and then their lungs come out and sit on the outside and breathe for them. And they keep like they keep like humans as like uh, like blood bank things that they they have to live in water, and it's like a whole the whole thing is just goopy and gross and over the top. And I liked it. It it is it does suffer from the '90s thing. You'll know exactly what I mean when I say this. That mm. 90s thing where it's like there are these stupid over-the-top moments of exposition because the movie because uh, the movie is so action-packed. Uh, 
So like, mm. there's so much running and fighting and getting killed by vampires or yelling at vampires or doing whatever that you have to have like two or three very obvious moments where it's like, well, let me fill you in on what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. as opposed to a movie where you spread it out throughout the movie, right? This yeah, movie's you, like you, you sprinkle it. Yeah. This movie's like we don't have time for that. We got to fight vampire grandma with a shovel. So there's no time to talk <laughs> about like the history of what's going on here. So. I don't know. It, it's still a lot of fun, though. I really liked it. And then the other movie is called The Borrower. It's from the guy who directed Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, my goodness. This was his second movie. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, he references Henry like three times in it, including a horrifying assault scene in which a commercial for Henry is playing in the background. Wow. Fuck. Brutal. It's fucking brutal. And the weird thing is it's entirely set in Chicago, and they make constant Chicago references. I was like, oh, cool, a Chicago movie. Only as I'm watching, I'm going, fuck, I don't know where any of these places are. Like, I thought I'd recognize something. So then I looked it up, and even though it's set in Chicago, and the IMDb claims it was filmed in Chicago, if you go to the, uh, I think it's in the film registry for one of those sort of like AFI, whatever, whatever. One of those sort of uh, his film history places has a thing for it. The big thing yeah. about the movie is that it was all set to film in Chicago and then all the shit fell through and they actually filmed it all in LA. <laughs> so the whole <laughs> thing is actually LA. So that was like, oh, no wonder I don't recognize any of this shit. <laughs> it's Because it's in Los Angeles. Oh, man, it's so funny. I was like, because it, it was so unfamiliar watching it that I thought I should look up all these locations and go on like a location thing like my name is Justin Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so good. Uh, so those are, that, those are some things. I also watched um, a movie called uh, Random Acts of Violence. I talked about it a little bit on Horror Business for those of you who listen to that show too. Uh, mm. It's just not great. It was directed by Jay Baruchel. Isn't that how you say? Oh, it's, it's the comic book one. Yeah, it's not that good. It's on Shutter currently. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it. I got like maybe about halfway through it, and I had to bail because it just wasn't doing it for me. I finished it. It's and it's not. I don't think it's bad, but it's just not that great. And I think it's one of those movies that thinks it's doing something like really cool and innovative, and it's really not. And it's trying to be meta, and it's basically failing at its meta ness, you know? Yeah. I, I do like Jay Baruchel, though, but this is his first directing, right? Like, he never directed anything before this? That's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I definitely gave it a chance on the strength of Jay Baruchel, but then also I was like, eh, eh, just didn't do it for me. I also watched that movie Possessor. Uh, oh, how was it? Very we started good. it the other day. It's very good. I highly recommend it's it. It's directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Sure is, sure is. And I liked his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was his other movie? Antiviral, I think it was. Antiviral, yeah. yeah I, yeah, I like yeah, that one, that. too. I saw that at Fantastic Fest. Um, yeah, that's a good flick. I didn't... I, we started this, but me and Melani were busy, like, just... I think we were tired or something, so we just kind of bailed. But uh, we will be getting back to it. I just haven't had a chance to finish it. I got, like, the first 20 minutes in, maybe. Yeah. Big, big recommend on that. Um, other than that, not a lot else, really. Um, been listening to that Heavy Discipline record that just came out. Really like it. Mm -hmm. um, been checking out these Soul Glow singles that they've been releasing. And big ups to Ruben and the other folks in that band. Really, really dig that band. And uh, uh, a band that I, I sort of have a love, like a mixed relationship with. Like I, I like some of the early stuff. I haven't been as stoked on the new stuff. Is that band uh, Touche Amore? And mm, yeah. they just did a video that's a video about, I think the song is like, I forget what it's called, something about love, 
like tokens of love or proof of love. I don't know. Anyways, the the whole thesis of the video is we asked a bunch of friends like what they see as like proof of love in the world, and everyone said the same thing. So enjoy this video. And the whole video is just various people they know from music with their pets. It's just people <laughs> with their pets. And it it's great because on one hand, I love pets. Doggies, kitties, I love them. Second, uh, I know some of the people in the video, some pretty well, some just casually. And I haven't seen any of these people forever. Even the people in the video who I don't know on a personal level, but I appreciate their bands. You know, you haven't mm. seen them for forever because there hasn't been any live music. So, like, going from, like, uh, you know, friend of the show Sarah G, who I love, or one of my older friends, Aaron Weiss, to, like, someone like Walter, who, like, I don't know Walter, but I haven't fucking seen Walter because there's been no live music. Like, seeing yeah. all these recognizable – some of them I didn't recognize, obviously, because it's, like, some of their closer friends. But a lot of them are people mm. I recognize – loving their pets it kind of made me emotional man like it was kind of an emotional thing <laughs> and like a feeling of like i i miss i didn't realize that this would make me miss shows people with their pets but it does because there's a whole bunch of people in that world that like i don't call them necessarily on a regular basis but i would see them occasionally and yeah i kind of miss just like any of type of yeah. entrenched scene right like that's right. just what that is it's a weird way to be honestly compared to the rest of the world right and um it's just funny to think that like that's a thing that we at at one point was liberating, but now is also like kind of cagey a little bit, right? Like it kind of traps. I feel a little trapped sometimes when I think about that. Do you really? That, like, well, just in the sense that like even though I I know like what it feels like to be embedded in that. Sure. The the idea of that encapsulating a lot of like my definitions of friendships with certain people only because I wonder what it's like to be like a, a Eagles fan or like some shit that's like more universal, you know, what's that like? Oh, I don't, that, I don't fucking know. That's a bridge too far for me. I don't care about sports or people who like sports, but. Oh yeah. I don't care about it either, but I definitely have friends that are like entire groups of friends that are based around that. Not only that, I also participate in like these team maneuvers where we go to different cities to watch the Eagles play. And I see like how everybody is. And I think the national natural inclination is to try and compare it to your own experience, right? To be like, ah, oh, well, it's kind of like when me and my boys are on like doing a thing, but it's also not anything at all. Like when Krosky's go play Delaware or whatever the, you know, I mean like it's, it's a completely different, I don't know. It's a thing that I have a curiosity about is all. But uh, I, think, I also am not curious enough to commit to understanding the rules of football beyond Tech Mobile right, on Nintendo right. to actually like. Go. See, I I don't I I kind of identify with what you're saying with the music thing, but that's why I have developed so many other connections because I feel like if my whole social world was only within hardcore that that would be just too much like that's just yeah too small a thing for me but i i think that's true of each of the worlds that i connect with like if all my friends were church people that would suck if all my friends were movie people horror or, or otherwise that would suck you know what i mean like i i like that i know mm. i know people from movies who don't like the music i like i know people from church stuff that think all the things i like are weird i know people because of academic stuff or uh social justice stuff you know what i mean like i like having those various connections and i wish i had more i mean this is part of my weirdness about the move right is that like um 
there's probably a lot going on normally in some place like Chicago that is only like 40 minutes away where I could meet a ton of new people and have more worlds to interact with because that is important to me. Um, I, I will say during this time, I'm glad that I haven't completely abandoned my actual close friends because I think sometimes that it's easier for me to have a ton of casual friends because mm. it, I can keep up a mask with casual friends. You know, like I yeah, don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not fully myself and that is comfortable for me. Uh, so I'm glad since I can't have any casual friends right now, really, like it's just not a realistic <laughs> thing. I'm glad that I, I, I do have friends who are more intimate and I'm more connected to like that is very important, but I kind of miss casual friends. Like I kind of miss interacting <laughs> with people, and you know, partly that's just because I'll name it. I'm an extrovert. I get energy from that. If I walk into a place, I don't want actually want to know twenty people in a place. But if I know like five people in a coffee shop, and I can like have some quick conversations with those five people, and maybe have like one slightly more in depth conversation, that feeds me like really hard, like really hard. And I kind of, yeah. I kind of miss that energy. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think that's part of my thing is like realizing like, oh, here's a video for some band where I don't know a single ma- person in that band. Like, not like don't even like, I, I mean, I've never even interacted with anyone associated with Touche More on any level. And so the fact mm. that there were multiple people in this video that I'm like, oh, I know them. Oh, I know them. Like that was cool, but it's also kind of sad because I, it, it might be another year or more before I ever see one of those people. And even then, it was it was kind of rare to see them before. Now it's even more yeah. rare, you know. So I don't know. I, I, again, I'll stay connected to like my besties, but I kind of miss some of those casual friends. And, and honestly, that's part of the reason I love that uh, some of our fan base with Cinepunks are super interactive because like that's great. I want to talk to more people, and I like that. Yeah, no, I get it, man. I get it. Plus, it's just I mean, like honestly, Cinepunks is such a springboard for these conversations with friends. Right, I agree. Right, like it just feels like we're doing our thing if people want to talk to us. <laughs> okay, not just us. Let's let's uh, us. let's Sorry. create some space for you, buddy. Oh, right. Did you get any of the um, wax stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, what I was going to say is on track, how many people in the in the Trump circle have COVID? That's great. I love that. That's on track. Uh, what's whack is um, them basically juicing our president up on crazy steroids, letting him tweet actual insane things, and pretending that he's healthy when it's pretty clear he's still fucked, you know? And what's whack is all the staff members that he's probably getting sick right now. So all that stuff is whack, and it uh, makes me mad, and I just want to ignore the world and watch horror movies right now, which people know from listening to the show, I'm not an ignore the world kind of guy. I'm like, a, there's there's hot news. I want to get right in it and whatever, and I am literally tired. I just never thought I would get tired of spicy news, and I'm so fucking over it. I just want to watch horror movies. <laughs> spicy news aka liam hot thumbs doing the thing i get it oh I yeah it. i love being liam hot well i actually hate typing with my thumbs but uh but right. in theory i love liam hot thumbs <laughs> liam hot thumbs baby cooled off to watch horror movies for the month of cinnaween i get it i get it <laughs> as for me um currently whack is um being unemployed not my favorite this is week one of uh being unemployed since uh since 2002 
And then before then, uh, and that was only for like a month. And then like before then, I hadn't been unemployed since I started working when I was 14. So like, this is completely new to, to your boy, man. Like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. I'm out here like cleaning shit and like, I don't know, throwing stuff away. And I don't know. It's just, it's not, it's not dope. Not the dopest for sure. But um, so that's not fun. And I'm um, trying to just make my way through this new reality that I'm occupying is, uh, again, not my favorite. Not how I figured I'd be spending this week. But you know what? Uh, everybody keeps on giving me the same platitudes of like, well, this might be a blessing in disguise and all these other sayings that you say to someone who lost their job and all that stuff. And I appreciate it. I really, really do. Um, but that said, I don't know, man. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, not, I'm not fucked. I know that. I know I'm not screwed. That said, I uh, am not psyched on just being loose on the wind. You know what I'm saying, man? That's. Like, it's I, just, I, I think it's hard to do after you've been seriously committed to a job for 18 years. That's a long time to suddenly be like, oh, yeah. now I'm just doing whatever. That's, like, difficult. Yeah, it's not my favorite thing. It's really, like, I mean, like, it's cool. Again, I'm psyched that, like, you know, I get to spend time with Melani and George and all that stuff. And I have a home that we own and all this and, like, you know, all the things, you know. But also, it's just like, dude, I'm just out here now with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even though it was a thankless job and even though it was, like, taxing me way more than I was able to help people, I do think that I was very uh, committed to the concept of actually helping people. And uh, I think I still am, but you can't help but feel hurt after, you know, committing your body and your will and, you know, whatever generosity you have to serving a population and to serving the machine of a hospital. And then to just have that all go away unceremoniously. Like I didn't say goodbye to any of my coworkers, you know what I mean? People who I've worked with for 20 years, like I didn't say goodbye. I was just like out, you know, and it's cool. I don't mind, but also it's just like, I don't know. I always thought there'd be a party. Maybe a cake, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in a in a way, because you were let go, that could be even worse. Like, you know, when I left Broad Street, I was like, no party, fuck you, you know, because <laughs> I just didn't party. want to have that that awkwardness, you know. Even at Lafayette, when they had a party, I I tried to nix it, and they just wouldn't let me. So I had to have this party, and you know, they didn't promote it or whatever. And not a lot of people showed up and it was a real bummer. Uh, I will say, <laughs> I will say, you know, work doesn't define your connection. So if you want to see those people, you can, but also I, I, I think, I think people are well-intentioned when they tell you this could be a good thing. And I don't think that they're necessarily wrong because I think that, um, you can help people beyond this job and this job, as you've said before yourself many times, doesn't really define who you are, or what you can do. However, I don't like when people say this to you as a way to minimize your sadness. I mean, you even do it to yourself. Like you'll say something that's painful and then you go, and it's fine, but you know, it's not fucking fine. You wouldn't have brought it up <laughs> yeah, if it no. was fine. If it was fine, you wouldn't have said the thing in the fucking first place. I think, yeah, I think you have that's to, that's why this lands directly in my whack pile. Just saying. I'm just saying, I think this is, I think what you need to do a little, or 
I'm not here to tell you what you need to do, but what would help, I think, in my opinion, is just let yourself feel some of those negative emotions. It's too soon to tell yourself to buck up. You know, you don't have to buck up yeah. yet. You've got you've got a little bit of time. You just signed up for unemployment. I'm not saying wallow, but just let those emotions be what they'll be. And if they if you feel sad, that's fine. If you feel angry, that's fine. If you feel like you know a little bit uh, without hope, that's fine. As long as you don't also then be, think that each of those emotions is the entirety of your being, because you know that's not true. The same way that yeah. when you're jacked up excited to be with friends you know for a fact that's not going to last forever you know that yeah, that sometime down the line you're going to be bummed again it's the same for these bum feelings man they're not going to last forever just ride them out let yourself feel them don't feel bad you're not wrong for feeling sad you're not wrong for feeling betrayed this this they did you wrong that's just a fact and we yeah. can have that on the show and i don't think that's something we need to 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 allegedly or anything like that. They fucking did you wrong and it sucks and it's going to be a little bit before you feel okay about it. But I am firmly of the opinion that it's an actual factual that this is going to be better for you in the sense of you can get a better job. You know, yeah. I I just think that's a fact of the matter that that you were not either in your experience or in your compensation where you should have been that they were not treating you. If you were making that much money and they were treating you like a god, that would have been okay. But the reality is they weren't treating you great, you weren't having a great experience, and you weren't being super well compensated. So I think into the future, again, we've talked about it in the show. I don't think the perfect job exists. I don't think you're going to necessarily find something that's entirely satisfying and will make Where you... I'm like leaping out of bed every day. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's time to go do a thing. Yeah, but, like, but nah. I think you can find something that feels less awful. The idea that yeah. the only option for you is to feel bad is not real. Or if you are going to feel at least some amount of bad, that you also can't be fairly compensated. I think for your experience level and for your ingenuity and creativity, that's not real either. I think you can find mm. something that's not going to make you want to die, that will actually pay you okay. Again, it's hard right now because the economy, but I do think you're going to be all right. So that's a real thing. But but as much as I know that's real, that doesn't mean you're not going to stop being sad about this because they, they treated mm. you poorly, man, and there's no way around that. There's no... There's no uh, hoping that away or saying oh it's no big deal it is a big deal it sucks and that's fine and and it's fucked up yeah not my favorite thing for sure so yeah definitely whack but i hear you man i'm i'm just hoping it's it's an issue of of faith right liam like it's an issue of like believing in yourself and i'm definitely not that dude nor have i ever been i've always been like just like uh, you know, I'll do the best that I can. It'll be good enough for me. And like, kind of like, I don't want to say self-deprecating, but yeah, that's kind of what it is. And I don't know how I learned it. I look at people that are forthright with who they are and what they present to other people. And I'm, I admire it, almost envy it. Like, how do you get to be that way? Cause I don't know. I'm never, I'm, you know me, Liam, I've never been that dude where I'm just like, yo, guess what? Josh Alvarez, the man. It's always like, yeah, you know, just kind of do my own thing just in a corner by myself. And that's always been what it what it was, you know. And now I find myself in a position where it's like, yo, if you don't believe in yourself right now, you're going to fucking die. And that's where the hiccup is, right? Like, that's where, like, I'm like, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. That level of humility that you have is very charming. I think a lot of people like you for it. But the reality is it's not real. It's not based on a true thing. It's based on um, uh, a little bit of insecurity and a little bit of like false, like, well, I don't want people to think I'm a jerk. And then it's also, in my experience, and I think you'll feel some resonance with this, when you have that level of like, well, you know, it keeps you from reaching towards new heights and really, uh, really testing yourself and being as great as you can be. And it's a convenient excuse for not getting better at things. So like when something isn't great, you're just like, well, that's just who I am. And it's like, that's not true. No one is just who they are. Everyone can learn new skills. Everyone can improve and grow. Some core of you is always going to be you, but that's not a limitation. That's that's a that's a that's a positive. That's a as much as you change and grow, you'll always be Josh. Instead of it being no matter what I do, I'll always be Josh. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like I think yeah. it, I think it has to be part of your positive view of yourself as opposed to like, well, I can never be more than I am. It's like, well, that's not true because the reality is you don't know what you are until you try. You know, you don't you didn't know you were going to be a songwriter until you became a songwriter. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. You, yeah. you don't know what next thing it's going to be until you try to do it. And that doesn't mean you're not going to fail, but that's the point, right? You're never going to you're never going to know what you can do until you fail a few times. <laughs> Lord knows. I think there's a couple failures coming. But uh I'm 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 getting there, Liam. You know what I mean? I'm trying. I'm trying to have more forgiveness towards myself. I'm trying to ultimately uh, have more submission, have more surrender to the actual potential of greatness that I may or may not have. And that's that's the scariest bit. Like, that's what gives me the most anxiety, that, like, if I submit to this potential that everybody seems to see that I have a hard time getting to, I don't even know what happens after that. That's the great unknown for me, Right. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know. But that's where I'm at with that. So that's whack. Um, on the on-track side, I have been watching a lot of movies because I'm now unemployed and have a lot more time to do things like watch movies. Um, I watched a movie on Criterion. I'm trying to keep with like spooky movies for the season. So I started with Empire of Passion, a movie on the Criterion from 1979, directed by Oshima. And it's a uh, Japanese ghost story. And it involves a couple characters, uh, some marital infidelity, and then there's a murder, and then there's, like, all this, like, guilt and shame and all this stuff, which is to say, it was pretty great. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's really, really good. It's streaming on Criterion right now. Um, And then I went to a couple, like, you know, solid hits. I watched The Thing again because that always makes me happy. Um, Halloween, of course. I've watched that one. And, um couple other ones like we had mentioned i watched that that comic book john that i was not so much into and we started possessor which i haven't finished yet but um been enjoying those uh, as far as records go um there is that new record by jonesy that just came out and i really enjoyed that it's called shiver um i've been listening to the new solo record by laura jane grace of against me fame it's called stay alive a uh, friend of the podcast and designer of one of our t-shirts perry shall did the cover of that record and it's beautiful. Um, and also I've been really into the outraising hell record by band paranoid. It's like a crusty, uh, it's Swedish people, but it, they do the Japanese hardcore thing pretty good. And I'm really into that. 
also really into the new Deftones record, which if you don't like, I'm sorry, you're a poser. And also, I think the Dark Horse pick for my favorite thing that has come out is the single from Dominic Toretto, a.k.a. Vincenzo Diesel. Stop. Stop. Entitled Feel Like I Do. New single. Dan Scully told me about so it, much. and I listened to it. And guess what? Haven't stopped listening to it since. I, I, straight, up, I straight up hate you and Dan. Oh, my sweet baby Jesus. It's like listening. It, for some reason, and I make no judgment on this. I'm just going to say it as an observation. My man sounds like Lou Ferrigno when he sings. For better or for worse, that's what it sounds like. Lou Ferrigno singing to me while a car engine is revving. And I love it. I'm living for it. I'm into it. And yeah. If you don't like it, that's your problem. My life is pretty dope because that song exists in it. That's all I'm saying. So that's on track. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the intro song for this rec- for this episode. Just no, so. it's not. It will certainly oh, is yeah. not. 100% it no, will. It 100% not. it will. No, it is not. It's going to show up somewhere. I veto it. I veto. Veto. Oh, sweet. It's spooky season. I've never vetoed before, but I'm no vetoing. It's in 2020. I mean, you know, we lost Eddie Van Halen, but we got... Vin Diesel, just saying. It's time for a break because you've just made this whole show bad with all of that discourse. <laughs> what are we talking about? We never even said, I, we, I briefly oh. said, but what are we talking about this episode, Josh? We're talking about the Gates of Hell trilogy by uh, Italian etour Lucio Fulci. I think it's worth mentioning that we did an episode of this on, uh, not of all three, but of two of them on Horror Business with Joe from The Horror Show. And I specifically didn't listen to it because I didn't want to like know what I had said already. Like I was like, I'm just going to watch these fresh and have new ideas and whatever. So if you listen to that episode and you're like, oh, he already said this. I don't care, man. I don't care. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. We just record the shit, and then who knows what I said? I don't. I don't got time for that. You know, don't the don't bother me. I don't. We haven't ever done a Fulci episode for no. Things, well, we? and I was surprised yeah, that we did shit. it for the. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff we haven't even covered on Horror Business yet that I'm like, Justin, this is like one of your favorite movies. But I think, I think on that show, I know Justin gets intimidated to cover the things that he actually is obsessed with. You know what I mean? Um, mm. so that's, it's easier just to cover random stuff. That's, and, and I kind of like the experience of watching something new sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, so that's part of it. But, I, but I think on this show we could do, I mean, uh, you know, you guys know, so this isn't a big behind the curtain, but for those of you who might be new, here's a bit of a behind the curtain. We don't plan shit for Cinepunks. Nothing. Not Mary, a goddamn not one. thing. I will say for this episode though, brother did a little bit of research. Is on oh, I thing. feel that. But what I'm trying to say is. If we were smart, we'd go, okay, next episode should be a lifelong favorite. Then after that, we should do new shit that we never watched before. Then after that, we'll do a guest and whatever they pick. And then we'll do another lifelong favorite. You know what I mean? Like That, w- yeah, that would yeah, be a yeah. cool rhythm for us to hit because then we're sort of switching up the variety. And, at, and instead, it's random. We'll do an episode where, oh, we, neither one of us ever watched a shit. We just thought it'd be cool. And then the next episode is like, this is my favorite movie of all time. And it's just, there's no rhyme or reason. We just kind of do whatever. Yeah. And that's what—that's the beauty of it being our show that we can do whatever the fuck we want because you know, we're, we're ballers like that. Stop. So after the break, we will be diving into some Lucio Fulci Gates of Hell trilogy. What are the three movies in the trilogy, Liam? They are uh, <laughs> this first one. It's either City of the Living Dead or Gates of Hell, depending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and wait, is there a third title or is it just those two? 
I think it's just those two. Okay. Then uh, House by the Cemetery. And then The Beyond, which does The Beyond have an AKA? I don't really know. I don't know either, actually. That's not the research that I did. Oh, okay. Well, those three are what we're <laughs> talking about. All right. After the break. See you in a sec. are back uh listeners you don't know but um that was the longest piss break liam's ever taken it's been like an hour no stop it's first of all in my case definitely not the longest because i've had <laughs> piss breaks that turned into poo breaks so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just had to hydrate some more because you know brother keeps it like nice and fluid you know what i'm saying because i got to spit these mad flows so you know i, I don't know i don't know what any of that means I'm sorry, Liam. Sometimes I lapse into hip-hop speak, and that's just the thing. Uh, us MCs know what we're talking about, though. Just saying. But anyway, so 
As part of our Halloween celebration, we are talking about one of our beloved directors, Mr. Lucio Fulci, and his his Gates of Hell trilogy. So, um, Liam, what is your history with the man's Lucio Fulci? Like, where did you get in with Fulci, and what is your... Like, do you have any type of reverence for him? Is there any type of nostalgic, like, weight to his his catalog for you? Talk about Fulci for me. I'm kind of amazed this is the first time we... This can't be the first time we've talked about Fulci on the show. Dude, I really do think it is. I look back... I mean, it's not like we had to look back on, like, 500 episodes. There was 117 before this. Well, no, I don't think we've done it as a topic, but I think we've talked a little bit about Fulci in the past. I'm not sure, because... I'm pretty sure we haven't. And uh, if any listener listens closely enough, to know number one why number two let us know and tell us what episode and uh, liam will send you two t-shirts it'll be cool oh my god i like that we're committed to two t-shirts right yeah. now Jesus. i'm also like yo man if somebody wants to airdrop me a pizza liam will send you two t-shirts it'll be dope Stop! Not a no thing. i know not a thing not a thing okay um, i'm not eating pizza unless it's like cauliflower crust okay pizza, can you in stop which case, yo, i don't need to hear away. about you and your pizza i'm just saying it's not pizza okay listen on. listen Zombie. That was my first. And, you know, my exposure to zombie was, uh, I think, post-college even. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I was pretty obsessed with Romero, and I had managed to catch a few other zombie movies, but I'd never seen, uh, you know, what what we could actually call Zombie 2. And uh, I was with friend of the show, Jesse Deal, uh, Jesse was like, we, we were both kind of depressed after college cause we didn't know what we were doing with our lives. And, uh, when we got home from college, he was one of my friends who I knew before college who lived nearby. So we like started hanging out a little bit more and we started doing like Wednesday night, uh, horror movie night. And he had seen zombie before, but I think there was a new version of it out on DVD at the time. And so we were like, yeah, let's watch this zombie, you know? Um, and after Zombie, I was like, we got to find more of this guy's movies. But as you know, and I'm sure a few other people know, around about 2002, 2003, it was actually hard to find Fulci movies. It wasn't like yeah, it is it now where there's a ton more you can get your hands on. And so mm. we managed to watch City of the Living Dead and The Beyond. But I didn't see House by the Cemetery till years later when I was at Fantastic Fest, and they had a 2K restored copy, which it's so funny thinking people have 4K TVs now. Because when I was at Fantastic Fest, and they're like, we have a 2K restored copy of House by the Cemetery by Lucio Fulci. I was like, holy shit, that's magic. Like, that was the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> and and fucking, uh, uh, who's the Blue Underground guy, the director? My brain just died. Uh, you know, uh, Lustig. L- oh, yeah, Bill Lustig. Lustig yeah. was there, and he was like, this copy you're about to see is better than what I saw in the theater when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. All right. Uh, and it was really good. It was really, really good. Um, and it was the first Fulci I actually saw in a theater because um, even though I'd been to a bunch of Exhumed stuff, I didn't manage to catch any of their screenings of Fulci movies, which is weird, right? Because they did they yeah, did a yeah, lot yeah. of Fulci, but um, I kept missing them. And so... Uh, that was it. Then for me, that was all of Fulci until probably maybe eight years ago or less than that, a little bit less than that, um, uh, when I suddenly was like, hey, uh, Fulci has a ton of shit. 
You know, he, he, he actually made a million movies. And I went out of my way to try to find everything I could. So now I've seen his early Giallo movies. Uh, I saw Conquest, finally. Um, I've seen uh, Black Cat. And I've seen Cat in the Brain. And I've seen The Psychic. Uh, and New York Ripper. And a ton of stuff. But there's still... What's crazy is that there's still lots of movies of his I haven't seen. I still haven't seen Manhattan Baby or, mm-hmm. you know... It, and for Fulci, there's the, the pre... There's like a lot of like weird sex movies that he did too. Well, and like he has... So he has the pre-Giallo stuff, which tends to be comedies and and sex comedies, basically. And then the Giallo period. Then the straight horror period, which is really more the 80s. And then the... Post split with his collaborator. He had like a screenwriter he collaborated with, and then they split. Uh, it's it sort of suggested that Fulci got a little erratic because he had very poorly dealt with diabetes, and so he mm. would act kind of crazy. And so that he's got a ton of just real mixed bag stuff he did uh, after they split, which includes stuff like Conquest, but also like. Uh, the weird zombie sequel he did and some of those other there, there's a bunch of strange things that he was a part of so um and i haven't watched all those i think the latest film of his i did get a chance to catch was cat cat in the brain which is a very strange movie anyways all that to say um i've been somewhat obsessed with him for a while partly because as much as i have really sought out some of his movies and and watched them multiple times there's still so many things i haven't seen and i don't know that i need to see all of it but i'd like to see as much of it as i can and that's a well you know the reality is i can't really go back to the carpenter well you know Mm, i've 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 scraped the bottom you know same with romero there's probably maybe like two romero movies i haven't gotten to see yet uh but Mm. for the most part i've seen all the romero movies um probably toby hooper i've seen most of them argento there's some later stuff i haven't watched but uh, uh you know yeah from, i don't know if you necessarily yeah, from what i read to. i don't think i need to with fulci it's like i don't know that there's any director that i enjoy as much as him that i have yet to really scrape the bottom yet uh and granted yeah, or at least yet to like see the majority of his output yeah because there's so much so there's so much yeah um it's true but yeah for a while there and you'll probably agree with me uh, for a while there, it felt like Fulci was zombie and the Gates from Hell, Gates of Hell trilogy, and that was it. Mm. That was basically the whole thing, and that's just not the reality. Yeah, there's so much there. There's so much. I mean, like, and that's the thing, right? Like, he's such a prolific like director that like it's kind of and and it's so it's so diversified. Like, but I, I definitely hear that it appeals to so many of your specific sensibilities, like the Liam. Like, um, just the, the stuff that Liam likes. Yeah? Do you think so? Why? I want to hear about that. Well, because, like, he goes grimy and he goes, like, super gialli and all that stuff. But then he goes super gore. Like, he's he just is, like, the epitome of those, like, genres. Which is, like, if we were to... If, if someone were to ask me, what's the cross-section of Liam's favorite movie tastes? I'd be like, oh, he likes exploitation. The grimier, the better. And he likes horror. The gorier, the better. And Fulci fully is like that's not the, everything though. That's a pretty limited view of my taste, Joshua. Oh, is it? Oh, I hate you so much, <laughs> uh, listeners. If you can weigh in on Liam's tastes, uh, Liam will send you two t-shirts. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You're such a jerk. 
No, but it's true, man. Like, if if you were to ask me, like, what kind of movie like festivals would Liam go to, I'd be like X Fest and horror grimy shit. Like, that's what Liam likes. So I like plenty of art films. I know you like plenty of other movies. I know this, Liam. But that's it. Deny that you love those two things. No, I won't do that. Okay, and deny that Fulci isn't probably the best in those two things. Well, I think in the way, the thing that you're not saying is also true, which is that there's something weird and artsy. About, there's uh, Fulci later, uh, at least, uh, I wouldn't say later because he did a bunch of movies after this period, but during this period of the early 80s, was very interested in visuals, like like mm. in a certain kind of visual storytelling that I think sometimes defies logic. Like I think for a certain kind of horror fan, it might be hard to always connect with Fulcher because it's not clear why things happen. Like the scenes where there's no resolution to the dialogue, there's just a yeah. slow uh, close up of someone's eyes. And then it cuts. Yeah. yeah. And, or I get gouged and it cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, and, and my favorite part of that is there's constantly the suggestion that some characters may be bad. You know what I mean? Like uh, some of the visual language he uses, like, uh, this person is not trustworthy. And then that person dies, and you're like, well, that's not the villain. Why did you make me think that person was bad? I don't know. But I don't think that's the point. Like, I think he's, it's more of a sense of doom that he's trying yeah, to this convey. atmospheric patina of yeah. just negative. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I love it, actually. How about you? So, when did you first get in with Fulci? Talk about your history with Fulci. So uh, I used to come back from – I remember, like, coming back from college to go see Exhumed screenings on, like, those whatever Friday nights. And uh, the first experience I had was Zombie at Exhumed. And I believe it was at the Hardwin Theater. Or it might have been one of the screens that they did at that weird theater that became, like, the kitchen supply place on Route 38. Um and that was when I was like, oh, maybe zombies are cool. Oh, who's this Lucio Fulci? And, like, it was one of those things that, like, I saw it and I was, like, stoked and it was cool. But then I didn't really pay too much mind to it. And then um, when I was at school, as as you know, I was an RA. So I had to, like, work, like, weekends and stuff like that. And I wasn't allowed to leave my dorm and all this stuff. So I'd rent a bunch of movies. And one of the movies I rented was New York Ripper. And um, I'll be honest. Not so much into it. Wasn't really my thing at the time. In retrospect, I, I like it more now than I thought that I did at the time. But also, I didn't have the same visual vocabulary and understanding of movies at, at the time when I did see it. So um, those are like my two introductory points, like New York Ripper and Zombie. But not until I moved back to Philadelphia and um, got a job at TLA Video did I really understand. Because um, my boss at the time was like, yo, have you seen The Beyond? And I was like, no, never saw it. And he was like, dude, that's like the most fun Fulci movie ever. And so I went into The Beyond, and it was one of those movies that I saw, and it made me scared and happy at the same time. And that right. was the turning point for me with Fulci. That was when I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's a lot more here that I think I might resonate with than just your like garden variety horror fair. And uh, at the time, uh, City of the Walking Dead, City of the Living Dead was like impossible to find. It wasn't around anywhere. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't rent it or anything like that. Like it was just one of those things that was just like, um, yo, I heard about this movie and it's kind of like it takes place in a place called Dunwich and all this other stuff. And like, uh, you know, there's that other movie, Dunwich Murders. that's not so good. Um, but this one was like 
it was like a holy grail find, you know, it was like this and maybe like Ichi the Killer at the time was like the quested after movies that I had heard about, but I didn't know how to see. And um, eventually I think I, I managed to get a copy of it from somebody, like someone had like a burned CDR of it or DVDR or whatever, and they gave it to me and I saw that and City of the Living Dead is probably my favorite Fulci movie. Partially Whoa. probably because of how hard it was for me to go see it, like how hard it took for me to like find it, you know? But then also like they played it as one of the closing movies for one of the early 24-hour Exune marathons and that's one of my favorite movies or it's one of my favorite memories from exhumed that it ended the 24 hour marathon on city of the living dead. And I just remember sitting next to like this gigantic white guy that had like that nineties alternative haircut where it's like shaved on the side, but the ponytail on the top, you know, and he was wearing a uh, fear factory t-shirt that had the sleeves ripped off. And I just remember sitting there next to this dude and like, he was like a big dude and I was a big dude. And we were both like, Oh man, city of the living dead. This is so dope. And then we just started talking about it. And uh, I don't know that dude's name or anything. And it's not like the story of like ever since then, he and I have been friends. It's one of those things where it's like, man, I don't believe I had this crazy conversation with this dude about Fulci, like in the two minutes that like the movie was starting up that I'll still remember like 20 years later. So, um, but yeah, that was that. I mean, I never really gravitated towards like the Gialli. I never watched like Never Torture a Duckling or any like the more like obscure Fulci Gialli movies. I've just recently got to the Psychic. Um, but I've definitely loved the Gates of Hell trilogy. I definitely love Zombie. Um, and it's true. Like, even though those are the only two, those are the two that are the minted as like my favorite, favorite Fulci movies and have like guided me as far as like Fulci's exploration. You know what I mean? And also So wait, you've never seen gateway. you've never seen the Gial you never seen um Don't Torture Duckling or uh Lizard in a Woman's Skin? No, but I saw like uh Cat on the Brain, I saw Black Cat, I saw um again New York Ripper. Uh there are a couple others that I can't really think of right now, but I haven't seen Never Torture Duckling or Woman in Lizard Skin. Those particular I Yo, we gotta we gotta Where, we gotta get those on the server and you should see those ASAP. I will definitely try to see them. I mean like it's and you know me, Liam, like I'm not really a Gialli dude. That's the thing. I'm not really like an exploitation like sex murder guy. Like that's not never been my thing. So I haven't I've I mean, given the graphicness of his horror movies i always strayed away from the lucio fulci gialli just because i'm afraid it's going to be like that kind of stuff that's just going to bum me out i i I think you would like it i think you should see it i'm definitely gonna give it a shot and if it bums me out i'm bailing i can't take any more bum outs recently just saying but yeah 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 that said i do love fulci and i do think it's actually really funny that we're just getting to him after 118 episodes of us doing this shit so um again no pl- yeah. no planning everything we cover no is planning. just something you thought of in the last moment so yeah yeah that's definitely not incorrect unfortunately <laughs> but you know what it gives it a very uh frenetic energy to the cinepunks uh, podcasting agenda well you kind of <laughs> already uh, uh you kind of already revealed your thoughts a little bit but let's start at the beginning here of this trilogy with uh uh city of the living dead aka gates of hell gates of hell yeah Dude, I fucking love this movie. Talk to me about it. What? What? Uh, I, do we think we need to do a plot synopsis? Are there people listening who don't know what this movie is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do a quick, brief plot synopsis of this movie because, uh, I mean, what are you going to say? It's like, okay, so 
in this movie, uh, there's a dude named Bob. He's weird. Um, and then there's a gate. That, so basically, the story is this. There's a priest in this village of Dunwich that hangs himself. And by committing suicide, he opens up the gates of hell, allowing the dead to walk the earth again. And um, that's basically what the story is. There's a psychic that knows it, and then she, she kind of dies, but then doesn't. And then um, they go from New York City to Dunwich to find out about this uh, gate of hell opening. And then there's a bunch of brains that come out, and a lady throws up pig guts. It's brutal. Um, anything to add? It's hard because that is entirely insufficient, and yet there's not really a good way to cover all the weird... You know, uh, this is this is definitely a movie in which um, we we get the Fulci thing of like there's so many different elements going on, and it's hard to tell yeah. which ones are important, and so many plot threads exist. Like like the continuing theme of the bar that only exists yeah. so everyone in the bar can die, or even as it you only s- exists so that those dudes can just be like this town's going crazy. <laughs> yeah, or even Bob. Bob is like our weird sex fiend who only exists so he can be murdered, not directly connected with anything to do with the gate of hell per se, but Yeah, but by a good dude. But yeah, I think it's part like of the dad. I think it's part of the idea that like everyone's getting crazier because of the gate from uh of mm. to to hell, let's call it that. Uh there's yeah. multiple Fulci like regulars in this film. Like this, unlike some of the other movies, has like almost like four main characters really besides the sex fiend Bob. Um, you're right. A girl does throw up her entire intestines. The, the priest just shows up all the time, just magically shows up and then bad things happen. Um, yeah, there's not really until the end, not that much living dead. It's funny that one of the titles of the movie is city of the living dead. When, uh, gate living dead happens in like the last 20 yeah. minutes, maybe. gate gate from he- gate, to, what, so what is the other title? Is it Gate to Hell or Gates? Yeah, Gates, Gates of Hell. Or Gates of Hell. That is Gates such hell. a better title for the movie. That actually works for the movie. That's what the movie's actually about. Is a it's yeah, a yeah, Gate yeah. to Hell. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, we, we could definitely do this in a very frenetic style where we just name all the random stuff. But l- let's start with the idea that um, Fulci loves this. A character who's connected to the supernatural, right? Character who has some connection and is perceiving things. And each of these movies has a perceptive character who's connected to something from beyond. Now, this film, unlike our other two films, has a malevolent ghost in the form of the hung priest. Whenever the hung Mm. priest shows up, something terrible... Bad shit happens. But our other two movies both have benevolent ghosts. Although you could argue that in the third film, it's hard to tell what dog lady's about. She's just got her own thing yeah. going on. Plus, <laughs> is she even really a ghost when she gets killed by a dog? It's hard to say. Uh, it's but hard she, to say. She's she definitely some sort know. of phantom of some kind. <laughs> she's um, not re- I don't know. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll she's, get there. She's definitely from the past. That's the important part. But point is, <laughs> point is this. Point is this. With this movie, the only sort of manifest of the dead is this priest, and and he's he's sort of become the avatar of the um, oncoming doom to a certain extent. Um, 
But there isn't really that much zombie action in the way that we tend to think of the of the title Living Dead. It really is this like haunting and horrible things going wrong. Um, and so two of our characters, the psychiatrist and uh, this woman who I don't know. I can't tell if it's his patient only or if it's his girlfriend. Like, I don't know. Like, they're, it's, it's very weird. weird. Uh, but then, then we have the psychic and the reporter. And most of the movie, the psychic and the reporter are just trying to figure out where the fuck where Dunwich, Dunwich is. is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> weirdly, Dunwich is apparently the town built on the ruins of Salem. Of Salem, which is like, wait a minute. What? Salem exists. I mean, not ruins. Yeah. Definitely exists. <laughs> So good. So um, <laughs> makes no sense at all. And then by the but, time yeah. they finally connect with our other main characters, it's in a cemetery, and it's a little too in late a, in a mausoleum, yeah, of sorts, an ossuary, if you will. And it's and it's too late. the 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 gates of hell are going to open up. That's where we're at. There's no way around it. This is what's happening. And uh, that kind of slow march to doom is part of what makes the movie have a certain kind of atmosphere. Um, yeah. But there are also a number of moments that like don't make a ton of sense. So the most obvious to me is the ending, right? Where our two characters survive and then a kid run to- runs towards them. And for some reason it ends on this like ominous note of this kid running. And you're like, what is the kid a monster? What's happening? I don't know what's going in on some here. Of, in, in some of the research that I've done, I don't know if you read this, allegedly there was another reel that got ruined so they never finished like the actual ending of this movie and that the kid is supposed to be a zombie and that was what was supposed to happen the way it plays out as it's presented currently is that they're psyched to get out of the tomb and having escaped the dead ass priest but then the kid runs to them and he looks like a happy ass kid and then they're like psyched to see him and then they go terrified and then the movie stops and then there's like a crack sequence like uh, addition to the I don't know it, something happens and this done, but allegedly um, there was another uh, little another ending that from the preliminary and just topical research that I've done apparently somebody maybe Lucio Fulci spilled coffee on it and ruined the negative and that's why it, it never got to the cut of the movie. Crazy, that's crazy. Um, makes sense, but he also was like, yeah, the kid's a zombie. Josh, what are some of the other weirder, more uh, nonsensical moments in this movie? So the part where um, they're in the funeral home and they show the grandmother in the casket and then cut to the psychiatrist's patient slash girlfriend and the grandmother's in the kitchen. Yeah. Why is she in the kitchen? Why is she in the kitchen? And then she disappears and there's no mention of it after that. And that's like, wait, what? Like, so, okay, so she living deaded her way from the mortuary to the kitchen of the lady and then disappears after the psychiatrist looks and sees to make sure that she's real. So all that's like, what? Like, that makes no sense and has no, like, it doesn't do anything for the plot at all. But also, when she realizes that there's somebody in the house with her and she's painting... She's painting a rhinoceros that's standing over, like, a beach. It's so weird. It's, like, one of those points when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, it's this gigantic rhinoceros head over, like, what looks like a beach with, like, water, like, frothy-ass water. It's so weird. It's, like, I mean, this is good job on the rendering, but 
there's also what? this aspect to it, which is happens a ton in this movie, and it happens a little bit in the other movies too, where Fulci uses a first person camera perspective with the sound of a monster, but then there's nothing there. Like there's this. Yeah. It's it, what's not suggested is that this dead ass woman got up and is watching them from the doorway, but the camera suggests that, but it doesn't. It, it's I'm sure. It's hard to tell if this is like an editing thing, like we were going to have her get up and scare them, but then we decided not to do it. Or if he really is kind of creating this idea that there's a presence and occasionally you see what's going on from the perspective of the presence, but there's no physical thing there. I don't know. <laughs> it's so weird. But it's, it's so bizarre. Well, and we've talked, I, I know we have talked a little bit about this before. But this idea that Fulci has a nightmare logic, I think we oh, have yeah, we sure. have talked about this before, even if we weren't talking specifically about Fulci. I think we talk about it because, like, honestly, my perfect example of nightmare logic is in Argento's Suspiria, when right. she jumps through the window right. and ends up in the room filled with barbed wire. Right, right? that makes perfect right. nightmare sense. But actual sense, no, not so much in a narrative. But Fulci, ha- I feel like Fulci is the progenitor of that style without going completely off the rails like a Jodorowsky, like that weirdo, like what I mean, in the fuck a kid sits in a car and just watches while all of his girlfriend's intestines come out of her mouth. So like, you know, like that's there, there's a number of well, moments like not that. Not only is that, is that just a kid? You know who that is? Yeah. Who? That is Michele Soavi, who uh, also plays the dude in black and demons in the Mario Bava movie. And the director of um, Cemetery Man. Oh, I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is definitely. It's funny because like you can kind of chart his because he's in um, he he he's in like a bunch of those weird early movies like by those Italian directors, and then he goes and directs Cemetery Man, and um, it makes sense given like the whole phylogeny of his career right. in terms of Italian horror right. and what Cemetery Man is. Well, but that's like one of my favorite things about this movie that Michele Soave is in there. <laughs> or let's let's even think about the beginning of this movie with Bob, where a yeah. he goes to an abandoned house to play with an inflatable doll who kind of inflates herself, which I don't think is how those work. I don't know. I've never had an inflatable <laughs> sex doll, but it, it just sort of inflates itself. But then he's interrupted by a rotting baby corpse. Yeah, what the fuck? Makes, what the fuck is that? And then there's like, yeah, dude, it's so weird. And then when his one homegirl comes looking for him and she finds him in her dad's car and then he runs away and then that hand puts like the slop in her mouth. That's looks like the shit that makes this rotting baby corpse. It's so weird. It's so bizarre. Like, I mean, just saying it wrote like that is kind of like. It's also. Are you sure that's what the movie is? Like, I don't know. It's also weird how all of the adults are convinced that Bob is a sex fiend, and yet every girl in town is friends with him. Like, we never, we never see anyone around his age be like, "Oh, fucking Bob, what a piece of shit." Yeah, what a. They're all like, "Oh, hey, Bob, how's it going? Do you want to hang out and maybe like make out a little bit?" Like, they're all like into Bob. In this weird way, <laughs> when every adult is like, he's clearly a child molester. Like that kid. Yeah. And, you know, we get some evidence that Bob is a bit of a sex fiend. But like, you know, it's it's a, it's a creepy sex doll. It's It doesn't seem dangerous to me per se. But, uh, but it doesn't matter. Bob's got to die. Like that's like Fulci from the beginning is like, yeah, Bob's going to get it. Like that's how this is going to go. Yeah, dude. There's no and surprise. And it's so funny there. too. 
It's funny because like when he gets murdered, it's like a drill. And again, like you said, it's not an undead guy like putting his head in the drill. And it's one of those, like, much like the eye gouging scene in Zombie, it's like, ah, it's coming and I'm not going to be bummed, but it's still coming. And it happens for like 20 minutes and it's just so fucking good. Well, it looks awesome when the drill's all the way through his head and spinning on both sides and he's screaming. Well, and I think this happens more in this movie than the other two movies, but it does happen a bit with Fulci where he has a centerpiece bit of special effects and he's clearly not going to let, he just, you know, Whatever's going on in the plot, it's going to go towards this thing, and you're going to know yeah. that this thing is important. So, the drill through the head, the intestines out of the mouth, the eye gouge and zombie like, I, I, there's just a number of these moments. I, I would say, in the beyond, we're going to get to it, but the spider attack. Ah, uh, so good. There's a number so of good. these moments that, um, aren't really essential to the plot, but they're essential to Fulci because they're these centerpiece, gross-out gore moments that are so upsetting. That are so part of his nightmare logic. Right, right. It's so good. Also, I love that Fulci's in all three of these movies. <laughs> yeah, he likes to be in his movies. I will say, um, one of the things I've always wanted to do, and I don't think it's a Cinepunks thing. I might see if uh, if Doug wants to do it. But because these are Italian films, they're all dubbed, right? Like, there's no live sound. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy who does the voice of Fulci, who does the voice of other characters. There's just this voice that's in a lot of these Italian movies that I just mm. love. In in, uh, yeah. in House by the Cemetery, there's a brief Fulci uh, thing, and it's clearly not his voice. It's that guy. Yeah, it like changes accent. It's so funny. Yeah, the it's thing so about good. Foster is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that dude's voice, I have it like embedded in my brain because he's in so many Fulci films and other exploitation films. I need to find out who that is. I want to do like a series for Cinema Smorgasbord that's just films where that guy did a voice because I just think that would be crazy. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I think one of the other things about this movie that's so crazy is, you know, it, it, we're in the gate the gate has been opened by this suicidal priest which side note so catholic so catholic that that even matters to open a gate to hell and then uh and then it all culminates in uh and the priest just gets stabbed in his gooey guts and then that's sort of they're like well worms come out which is a theme that can be traced yeah yeah but the idea that that's that's all we needed to do if we had just stabbed ghost priest from the beginning you know, undead with a priest. crucifix. By the way, yeah. Then that would have been it. Then, the, then that's yeah. it. The gate, the no gate to hell. Uh, that's so weird. It's like one of the yeah. weirder sort of climaxes in a horror movie I've seen in a while. <laughs> and also, it's like, dude, they open the tomb and a bat flies out, and uh, and then the tomb is open from the other side, and the one dude's like idea is like, well, let's go inside it. I was like, wait, what? Like, wait, really? <laughs> I don't understand that scene when they get inside the ossuary uh-huh. and they see the tomb on the wall, the the plaque. That no, I was saying name. what really like my response to that moment in the movie. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like really. That's what happened. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 did no, you no, watch no. the movie? That's no. what happened. But uh, no, no, and it's just like my first instinct is not going to get into the vacant tomb of the suicidal priest. That's because nope. that's because you're a coward. Yeah, also true, also true. And I don't have nightmare logic like our man Lucian does. I, I think the idea, too, that Dunwich is built on the, like, there's a sense in which it's a secret town, but the people in the town act like they live in a normal place. And that's so weird to me. Uh, uh, there's also, like, it, 
there's a sort of like weird kind of like fogginess to everything even before things go out of control. And yet these people act like they're just normal people living in a normal situation. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I also like that it looks like Haddonfield, New Jersey in parts. Just saying. Well, but that's kind of what I like about any movie that always looks like Haddonfield, New Jersey. The thing about it with the with the idea that this is considered by some folks like a zombie movie, it's really a, a haunting that culminates in zombies at the end as a as a symbol of the dead coming out from hell. You know, the dead f- will c- will 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 come out of hell. But uh, but other than that moment, it's really a haunting. It's really like a weird ghost movie, and that's like part yeah. of the strangest of it. Uh, also, the obsession that Fulci has in this movie. Uh, I don't know if it's in the other movies, but it's definitely in this movie. The squishing of the back of someone's head. Multiple characters. It's showing brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, have yeah. the back of their head squished. I mean, is that a thing? Uh, no idea. Can you do that? I get, if I you're super either. strong, if you're a hell priest who's super strong, I guess you can. I guess that's a thing, but I, I mean, I don't know. Every time I see it, I'm like, there has to be at least one more layer of fat or something between that, that hair and uh, brain. Yo, I gotta say, too, the... Uh, Bleeding from the eyes effect is always good. Yo, it's always so good. good. Never not good. It's yeah. always good. Yeah, yeah. It's always done in such a way that the hair, the the hair of the characters that bleed from the eyes covers the corners, so you could tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some type of squib that's just like dripping blood into your eyeball that you keep open. But man, so dope every time. Never not dope. Just saying. Well, I, I, uh, if if someone wanted to know, like let's say someone more skeptical than me was like, Josh, how could this be your favorite Fulci movie? Tell me why. What do you think? What is your what is your? I mean, we talked about the various insane elements of this movie that really create an unsettling, deep nightmare to me. I, I guess for some people, maybe they think it's corny or whatever, but but it all kind of works together. How are you? How would you make that case? How would you sell it to someone as like this is why this is the Fulci movie for me? Because it makes the least amount of regular logic to me. It is the most nightmarish of the three in that it's it's definitely less linear than House by the Cemetery. It's definitely, uh, it, it pitches towards like, you know, this like inherent Catholic grief and terror that goes along with uh, a priest committing suicide. And um, it again, it was so hard for me to find to begin with that I think that it, I had no choice but to have this be the one that once I saw, I was like, that's the best one. Also, I like the band Regurgitate that used the image of the girl spitting up her guts and, um, <laughs> as their record cover for the one record. And uh, yeah, yeah, I like Regurgitate, which I liked before I knew that this was the movie. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess there is no logic, much like the logic of the movie, as to why this is my favorite one, other than it was the one that I had to quest the hardest to see. I think that, that that makes a certain amount of sense, though. Fair enough. Shall we move on to the next movie? Yeah, let's talk about House by the Cemetery. Man, what is this movie about? Give me a little plot synopsis about this one. Maybe. So a researcher uh, forces his family to move up to New England from New York to do something for his PhD, though. It's not clear. He's like researching old houses or something. Well, but he also says in the movie multiple times he's researching suicide, which is like, why? <laughs> I don't. It's it's all very strange. 
And uh, in fact, he's following in the footsteps of a colleague. He's basically living in the corpse of his colleague. His colleague has died and cannot continue his research. And he died by murdering his mistress and killing himself. And so he just goes on up to like, keep doing the research on his own and he he moves into this house that's kind of like a spooky scary sort of local house and um, where someone had died before like where yep. a murder had happened yep. yeah well a number apparently of murders and so <laughs> he gets up there and uh in the meantime his son also named Bob which is weird um <laughs> is communicating with a girl who almost immediately you know has to be a ghost girl and he only sees her in a photograph. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And she's dressed moving and she's dressed old timey. And there's this old lady who keeps saying, like, we have to go home, which you know means they're dead. That's all that stuff probably is like hell. really probably yeah. hell. Yeah. And so uh it turns out that the house was the property of a Dr. Freudstein. Freudstein. I'm just gonna go ahead and yeah. and, and say straight up really gave me anti-Semitism vibes. I'm not going to lie that the dude's <laughs> name is Freudstein. And uh, and then as as it goes, they start to suspect that there's someone in the house, that something's going on with the house. His research starts to suggest crazy stuff. And what he finds is that his colleague had become obsessed with Dr. Freudstein that had nothing to do with their actual work, but there was some personal reason. And then, you know, you know spoilers, uh, turns out Dr. Freudstein is still alive. And he's yeah. he's hundreds of years he's later. He's a hundred hundreds of year old, barely animated corpse who consumes human flesh in some way, which they never qualify to replace his blood. To replace his own flesh, which is slowly rotting, so he can live forever yeah. if he keeps taking flesh from other humans. And and mm-hmm. in the basement, which could not possibly be that big, they've just never noticed a section of the basement filled with human corpses. They've just never noticed it before. Dead people. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. for me. And that is the one part of the movie that I still am like, come on, the base was not that big, man. You should have invested. That's the one part. That's the part. Yeah, one hundred percent. I actually fucking love this movie. I think it's great. I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's for my taste as good as the Gates of Hell. Wow. However, wow. the part of it that I continue to be like, what the fuck, is that they couldn't have bought a studio space to be the basement so that it would make any sense that there's a section of the basement with corpses in it. They just never yeah, noticed. And the fact that, dude, the part where the, the husband's like, well, back in the old days, they used to just have tombs inside houses. Like, that was fine? Yeah. Why okay, wouldn't so that be? That, why why that would that find, not make any sense? They find Freudstein's grave when um, the mom, who uh, actually plays the psychic from Gates of Hell, is sweeping under a rug and discovers a tombstone there. And it turns out it's a Freudstein tombstone. And it's like, and she's bugged out because, yo, who wouldn't be? And Homeboy's like, no, 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 girl, don't worry about it. They did that all the time back in the day. Like when hip hop was good. And it's just like, I don't understand. (laughs) Like, that's okay with you? Like a dead ass dude in your crib where you live with your kid? Like that's all right, but a I don't find a I don't find that that weird. B even if it is weird, we're talking about a a, a, a Lucio Fulci movie. To right. say something is weird is just superfluous. It's like yeah, of course it is. There's lots of weird things, man. Like that's 
It's a movie of weird things. That's the whole point. You know what I mean? Like I just don't. Yeah, you're not incorrect. Yeah, mea culpa. I, I, it's my bad. By the way, it's let's weird. let's be clear that Catronia McCall is in all three of these movies, which is yes. pretty great. That she's like the threat. It's it's like he has his cast of of uh, or his uh, not his cast, but his uh, team or his, what is it called yeah, when yeah, you have yeah, a bunch yeah. of actors that you work with all the time. Uh, I know crew players. He's got his his players. group of players, you know, that are always in his stuff, and so I love that she's one of those people. I'm sure she's in other things too, but that's always how I think of her. It's like, oh, she's in all those mm-hmm. Lucio Fulci movies. That's like she's like the Fulci people. She's like the 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 characters that John Waters uses over and over again, like a Mink Stole or mm-hmm. one of those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah. So, so this movie is that there's another stabbing with worms in it. Oh, here's a th- here's a thing I didn't realize. We're actually out of order. House by the Cemetery came out after The Beyond. Oh, I, I knew that, but I thought that you uh, had some other type of nightmare logic that you wanted. No, to I thought to, so I, I thought the order. I thought The Beyond was the last one in the trilogy. Wow, I I no. think The Beyond works a lot better as an end of the trilogy. In fact, House by the Cemetery barely connects with the gates of hell the whole idea that this is part of the gates of hell trilogy oh, hell is stupid it's like weird. not connected yeah. at all because there is no gate or to hell other than maybe like the benevolent uh spirit taking bob away well i do think but... there's it it fits in the sense of in each of these movies there's a character an evil character that is somehow working towards uh you know a an apocalyptic end uh the the mm. priest when he hangs himself, he's not just bummed. He's trying to open the gate to hell. In yeah, 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 in yeah. the Beyond, there's this character uh, who's the warlock yeah, or whatever, yeah, and he gets yeah, yeah, yeah. murdered by the town and whatever. In this film, it's Doctor Freudstein again. Just saying Freudstein sounds like I'm saying a racial slur. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's so no, awkward. But uh, there's there's Freudstein. But I will say, as the final part of the trilogy, it doesn't make sense because it's the least apocalyptic. Like, yeah, what he's doing yeah. is horrifying that he's like maintaining his life through these people. But that could have just been a weird, gross slasher on its own. It doesn't need to be <laughs> the end of this like truly over the top trilogy. The Beyond is such a more intense, fitting ending. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. So would agree. back to House by the Cemetery. It is. Similarly, a kind of haunting movie, but it's funny that um, the benevolent character is the ghost, and Freudstein is, in a sense, the living dead. Not a ghost. Yeah. yeah. He's he's in some sense still alive, but he also kind of just looks like a gross zombie. Yeah. <laughs> he's got no eyes. It's weird. Yeah. So- what what are like the things about this movie that like strike you as like particularly like like my rhinoceros over the sh- the shore painting? What what are there any parts of this movie that you're like what the fuck is that? Oh, one hundred percent. And I'm gonna I'm gonna look at IMDb really quick be- just because I want to get the name of the character right. But uh, you know we have our main people in uh, Lucy Boyle and Doctor Norman Boyle, but then we have this babysitter, just Anne Anna. Yeah, and the babysitter <laughs> in in her in the right in the thing on IMDb it actually says and the babysitter <laughs> and here's the thing about and the babysitter a um I, I our little ghost girl has a hallucination about Anne getting killed and this is the craziest part to me okay why do ghosts have hallucinations why does our little girl ghost yeah. have hallucinations even if they're like psychic intention she's dead she's a dead girl. Ghosts don't have hallucinations. That's the first thing. Second of all, we're set up that clearly Anne is going to die because 
we see this mannequin ghost mannequin the head yeah. falls off the mannequin and it's been and cut there's off blood and there's there. blood and whatever and then when Anne shows up she looks exactly like the mannequin and they even cut back and forth to show us meanwhile Anne is creepy there's a whole part where you think is Anne trying to free dr freudstein from the basement yeah does Anne know dr freudstein there's does she know that he's down there who sent Anne? where is Anne from why doesn't Anne talk why does fulci keep <laughs> ending scenes with a close-up of her creepy-ass eyes. The whole thing yeah. is weird, and you think, well, is is Anne a red herring? Are we supposed to think that Anne is killing yeah. these people? It's very Dude, how weird. about the scene where, where Katrina McCall gets home with the groceries, and Anne is, or she wakes up in the morning, and Anne is mopping up the blood of the real estate agent? And she's like, oh, what are you doing? And Anne says nothing. And then she just Gina says McCall like just goes and gets caught. She just says, oh, that Anne is a real weirdo. But that's a th- yeah, but that's like this gigantic pool of blood on the floor all, that she's mopping up with a rat. All of that would be fine. Well, remember, he had gotten attacked by the bat. So that's part of the thing with this movie is understanding the timing that this is all happening pretty quickly. So he gets attacked by the bat. And that's where they think the blood has come from is his attack for the bat. But uh, we know... I guess I didn't pick up on that because it was a lot of blood. Well, but the well, but that's the whole thing with the bat attack scene is that it's all his blood and the bat blood because he stabs the bat over and over again with a knife. On his hand. Oh, it's so fucking oh, good. Sweet baby Because Jesus. That, yeah, that's so why the real weird. estate agent shows up because they've decided to leave the house, right? And they want to yeah, move yeah, out yeah. by the next day. But then the real estate agent gets murdered, and I assume Dr. Freudstein takes all the other houses that she was going to suggest they move to. So Anne is cleaning up the <laughs> blood. So that's why it's not necessarily that Anne is like an accomplice of Dr. Freudstein. And that would make sense because she gets brutally murdered by Dr. Freudstein later on. And But this is a Fulci thing, right? That just because a character is menacing doesn't mean they won't later be a victim. You know, right. that characters that he's like, yeah, she doesn't say anything. And it's so creepy. This is because this lady, her employer is talking to her and she's just looking at her. This directorial uh, decision is even more confusing in the beyond where there are multiple characters who just seem creepy that you're like, oh, yeah. maybe they're in on it. And then they get murdered. And you're like, oh, I guess they're <laughs> not in on it. I don't know. Like the like housekeeper. Joe the plumber. Oh, yeah. yeah Joe yeah, the yeah. plumber, the housekeeper. All these people seem weird and creepy and like they might be in on something. But then there's nothing for them to be in on and they just get killed like everybody else. It's it's weird. The whole thing is strange. Anyways, so House weird. by the Cemetery is, for me... My favorite weirdo bit in this yeah. is when... So there's a scene where Bob the child gets locked in the basement and uh, he's pounding on the door and his dad, Norman, and his mom, played by Katrina McCall, whose name I don't know, uh, they come to his aid and they can't open the door. And so Norman, the dad, is like, where's that axe? And he goes and grabs a fucking hand axe. And he starts chopping the door. Now, on the other side of the door where Bob is trapped, presumably by Dr. Freudstein, Dr. Freudstein's hand comes out and mushes Bob's face against the door. So then you see the axe coming through the door mere inches from little Bob's face. It's fine. Thing is, the hand that pushes Bob's face against the door is perfectly not zombie. And further, the hand of possibly a child or a slight person. And it's so weird because it's just a normal hand pushing the kid's face against the wall at one point. And then the axe comes through and cuts off the one normal hand. Makes no sense at all. Is it? A, I don't think that's true. I thought they both were messed up hands. No, dude. Watch it again. I had to rewind it a bunch of times just because I was like, 
Why is the one hand normal? Oh, by the way, where were you watching it? In my house. Not haunted. No, not that. This used goofball. How were you watching it? I was watching it via our server. Okay. It's worth mentioning for folks who don't have access to our server, because I didn't even look for it on there, that there's it's on Shutter right now and it's on Amazon. And they look significantly different. And it's worth saying that the version that is on Amazon is actually the Blue Underground restoration that people generally consider to be the best version. And the version that is on Shutter is not that. Uh, and it, it it would seem upon when you first start that the shutter one might be better because it's brighter. And so it's easy to think like, oh, this one's brighter. It must be a better restoration. But I watched a bunch of the shutter one before I switched to the Amazon one. And I think what it is is that they just washed out all the colors in the one that's on shutter. Oh, and so parts, shit. it's not just that the bright parts are brighter, but some of the late night the, you know, the evening parts are kind of washed out and you don't get the same amount of shadow. Um, and the colors are off. Like things that are supposed to be blue have almost like a yellow tinge to them. So, um, you know, I mean, what you know, decide for yourself if you have access to both. But uh, And I said on Amazon, I access Showtime through Amazon. So that's why I, in my brain it's on Amazon. It's on Showtime. <laughs> the Blue Underground version is on Showtime. So... Okay. Uh, that if if, if you are streaming, that is the best option for this movie, and it's worth checking all those things. At the, each of these films has multiple versions on multiple platforms. You know, Gates from Hell or Gates to Gates of Hell has versions on Tubi and on this and on that. So it's worth checking out like which version is on which platform. And as anyone who's like streamed a lot knows, just because you're streaming it doesn't mean you're streaming the best version. So, um, and with these movies. There's a lot of fucking versions. Like some versions are from the VHS tape, you know, or the DVD. And I think wow. when it comes to Fulci, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not watching the most up-to-date restored version because the colors and the light and even like parts of the movie are, can be weirdly edited. There's there's a really big difference between the different versions of these movies. Okay. Noted. Well, let's get into that third, which apparently is the middle. Uh installment of the gates to hell trilogy the beyond i will say i just final note on house by the cemetery it's just a weird spooky slasher so i get why it doesn't have the apocalyptic import of the other movies but i still think it's fun i think it's charming i like the way it's shot um i love how annoying bob is in it uh it's not as good as the beyond which is in my opinion the best fulci movie Mm. um I think that Bob is the most irritating child character in any Italian movie except for the kid in Burial Ground. I think he's... Oh, mummy kid. I think he's irritating, but I kind of like it a little bit how irritating he is because I think it's funny. But uh, yeah, you're reminds me. He reminds me of the drag queen Pheromone (laughs) for RuPaul fans. He reminds me of like the child version of Pheromone. But anyway, go on. Uh, no one cares about that, Josh. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, listeners to Cinepunks, if you care about RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, tweet at us and Liam will send you two t-shirts. <laughs> that kid was also in the movie Demons. Oh, yeah, he's the survivalist kid at the end. Oh, is he? Or No. No, I don't I think so. His name was Kirk, and it was in 1985, so he would have been older, so I don't know. Oh, I don't you figure know. In 85, he, he would have been 13. Fair enough. He was okay. he was also in Manhattan Baby. Which I didn't see. 
actually. He's also in Warriors of the Wasteland. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> the Beyond, again, I think The Beyond works better as a culmination, but it is, while the other two movies are New England movies, The Beyond is set in Nolens. Is it no? Is this Nola. is it supposed to be Nola or is it just Louisiana? It feels like Nola to me. I've, I feel like it's Nola. It looks like Nola yeah. for sure. But I mean, you know, in, again, nightmare logic. Who can tell? In New Orleans, and New Orleans. and it's a uh, it's a story that involves kind of like an, a weird ancient religion and a warlock, a hotel, yeah, yeah. and then a, a literal this time gate to hell that we see in a much more. It's just in the basement, basically, you know, and yeah. uh, and and a warlock guy who gets uh, crucified, kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. There's a book in this movie called the Book of Ibon, but in uh, and in um, Gates of Hell, there's another book in that one, and it's called. Uh, it's not Ibon, but it's like close. It's like Enoch. <laughs> it's like why not make it the same book? You knew this was a trilogy. Get in there, Fulci. Come on, man. But anyway, yeah. So there's like a so the, what's this, what's the plot of this one, Liam? Um. Oh man. So <laughs> yeah. So this lady inherits a hotel. Uh, again, played by our girl Katrina McCall, and um, she's renovating it. And she's going to open it up, but then a blind lady comes up and talks to her, and is like, talks about this warlock that got buried in a wall in room thirty six. And don't go into that room. And just weird shit starts happening. And then, like, while she's renovating it, some dude falls off of a scaffold because he sees eyes right. in a window. Right. And um, after that, it just kind of spins into oblivion. I mean... It's so weird. But it that's why I love it even more than Gates of Hell is it's so nightmarish. It's so visual. Yeah. It's so... And some of the stuff doesn't even, like, the scene... So, uh... The plumber goes down into this waterlogged basement. He gets attacked and killed. Then um, his face is just fucking a mess. And we go to yeah, the morgue. He spits up guts and stuff. It's gross. We go to the morgue where his wife and daughter are there, and his wife is changing him into this uh, suit. And in the morgue is him and then another body that they find in the basement uh, of this hotel. And by the way, there's so much murder and death and body showing up at the hotel. And yet every time we cut back to our main character, she's in such a good fucking mood. Every time yeah, she's she just she's always stuck. she's just moved on with her life. Like all this death. <laughs> and every time we see her, she's like, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, yeah. What about like it's like nothing has happened. Like, bro, uh, the plumber just died. And you're just like going yeah. to a restaurant. It's very weird. Um, like but, not only did the plumber die, but his face is all bloody and gutsy are coming out. Like he looks like phlegm's just pouring out of his mouth. Like, wait, that's okay with you? At the very least, you should check out the mold that's growing wow. down there because she's, of all she's that gotta get a, water. She's got to get a margarita, man. She's got to go get a mark. Yeah, man. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, the wife shows up to like put him in his, his funeral attire, which, by the way, is not – it doesn't make any sense. He hasn't even had an autopsy yet. And she's like, well, I better go. No, he has because they're sewing his chest together. Oh, they just did the. But even then, why wouldn't. This feels like an Italian thing. In America, yeah. a funeral director would do this, right? She wouldn't have yes, to show yes, up and for sure. cut him into his suit. The point is, the daughter comes. He, she screams, I assume, because of the brain waves of the other, other dead body. Thing. Yeah. Daughter comes in, and mom just gets hit. She's just on the floor, and then. 
gets hit with acid. And then the daughter has to run around from the acid. Bro, what the fuck is even going on in that scene? It is so nightmarish and amazing. The funniest thing is that's not the first acid face burning in the movie. (laughs) So weird. It's so weird. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so bizarre and just... Oh, my sweet. Of the three, this is the one that I've seen the most. Like, this is the one I've seen over and over again. And um, even though it's not my favorite because of how hard I had to quest to go see Gates of Hell, it's definitely up there as my favorite Fulci. Like, it's it's like top-tier Fulci for me. Like, this is the one, you know? And it's so bizarre. It's so weird. The, there's, a, there's a sequence where um, one of the assistants to our girl who owns the hotel has to go look at the floor plans, floor plans of the hotel in the library. And the library the librarian's like, well, I'll leave you in here. I'm going to go to lunch, though, so I'm going to lock the door, so you're going to be the only dude in here. And the librarian, by the way, pl- played by Lucio Fulci, leaves, and our man's on a ladder looking at the, uh, the books at the top that have presumably the plans of the hotel in it. And then he gets scared and falls off the ladder, and then he gets attacked by spiders that eat his face. The the face eating spiders is the best part to me because it's the dumbest part. Like, hey, spiders don't eat you. Like we all know that, right? Like spiders don't eat you your face ever. Uh, B the mix, the way that the film cuts between real spiders and fake spiders, as if. This is a fluid, like that no one's can tell the difference. That we're all like, oh yeah, I don't know, that's pretty believable. And that's the same spider for sure. And the idea that the spider's like, bite of your face, bite of your lip. Oh, now I <laughs> take your now tongue. I go for your tongue. Hey, like what the <laughs> fuck is even happening? And the scene is so long, like the length of it's time. Like Twenty minutes long. The yeah, length yeah, of yeah. time is so clear that Fulci was like. This shit slaps. Like I'm yeah. leaning on this because this is the one of the best parts of the movie. And you're like, what is even happening with the spiders? Oh my god! And then it it ends with the plans in the book disappearing. Like they just blank they out. They just disappear. <laughs> the because if oh if you god. could see the plans, right? I guess you could stop the gates of hell. Is that the suggestion? Because I don't think that's true. You know, like it's yeah. the whole thing is like very like the idea that whatever dark force is opening the gates to hell is like, all right, now we gotta we gotta cover our tracks here, fellas. We don't want them to <laughs> we don't want them to figure it out and go through a painting into hell and then just stand there awkwardly at the end. Which side note, one of my favorite endings in all of horror yeah. history. Period. One of the funniest things about that ending that I read in my preliminary research for this episode is that um, Fulci paid homeless people in alcohol to lay down and be the bodies in that sequence. Fuck. Um, yeah, which is like, wait a minute, you pay you you got alcohol for people to do that when you could have probably just did that with mannequins. Fuck. <laughs> so weird because it's not like they're moving or or breathing. Nope. they're just laying there yep. being bodies. Yep. So weird. I thought I've 100% was like, oh, wow, look at that mannequins half embedded into like a ground. But like, nah, he apparently got people to do that and paid them in alcohol because they were. Yeah. What other weird details did you find in your research, Josh? Uh, So the scene. OK, part of the plot is there is a ghost lady who can't see. She's blind. She might be a ghost or some other like time traveling apparition. Yeah, but she's, she's not got a, she's not fully human. She's not like the rest of us. She's something happens and she's in the storyline. I don't know how. 
right? I don't know why she's she was there. back. She was there know. back in the day too. She's at the hotel uh, when the warlock gets murdered. Yeah, like that explains something. It doesn't. I mean, it does. She's not from this time. Okay. She has I mean, to be at, she at gets, minimum she from gets the past. Killed by her. In the past, I'm quite sure they don't have German shepherds seeing eye dogs. But anyway, that's not the point. There's she's not blind. She, she's not blind in the beginning of the movie. That's the other thing is that also true. whatever also happened true. to her caused her. That's why the scene with the little girl at the cemetery is so fucking confusing. Because then she has weird blind lady eyes. Why? What is that about? Yeah, and then why does the little girl die later if she's one of the ghosty? Nothing makes sense. Nothing makes And she gets shot in the face. And, ah, oh, my sweet. It's so weird. But. Anyway, so there's a scene where a uh, blind lady ghost, that's not little girl, blind lady, is in the house that she resides in, which is unclear if that is a thing or because like the the doctor in the movie is like, well, that house has been abandoned for 50 years. It's like, wait, okay. so she's in there and she's playing piano. <laughs> the, she, in the dark. Playing the theme song she, to the movie on the piano too, by the way. And it's in the dark because, you know, she's blind. And then... There are ghosts in there, like the zombie people are in there for some reason, and the dog that she has that's a seeing-eye dog attacks them, and she's psyched, right? She's all like, whew, well, good work, doggy, and then the doggy attacks her and kills her, which, if she's a ghost, little weird. In the research that I've done, turns out the reason that the dog bites her throat, followed by her ear, is because she's already seen no evil by being blind. And then she's now hear no evil and speak no evil. <laughs> what? Like she sees the gates of hell, makes her blind. And then the hear no evil, speak no evil part is the dog ripping out her ear and her throat, which is why that's filmed with great detail. That makes sense. Sure. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. The other thing is, so there's another sequence where she comes to the hotel with our girl. And Blind Lady touches the painting, which uh, I'm pretty sure most art collectors are like, nah, don't touch. But she does. And then her hands bleed. And then she runs away in slow motion multiple times. They show her running out the door in slow motion. And the dog follows her. And the dog still has its balls. It's just flopping around behind the doggy. Full balls. (laughs) Just saying. I thought that seeing eye dogs had to be neutered. Just saying. It was one of those details that popped up at me i was like huh that dog still has its balls remember that dogs had balls (laughs) um yeah 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 how about you is there anything about this movie that you're like what the fuck i mean that that moment i mean mean, people remember on on twitter because i asked people what their favorite fulci was i was saying that the that is what's so crazy about the beyond a ghost lady is murdered by her dog a isn't she fucking dead already? What is going on? And B, the <laughs> idea that she's incorpor- incorporeal, but the dog can rip out her throat is even more ridiculous. The whole thing is so ridiculous, and I love it. I, I fucking love oh it. Oh, my God. Also, she sicked, Dude, all the scenes, she sicked the her dogs on dog? zombies, which is like also crazy in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love George, but if a zombie comes, he ain't going about I'm grabbing him. You know what I'm saying? The other thing is there's that sequence where like they meet her in the middle of that road. It's <laughs> so she's good. Standing Perfect. In Perfect. the middle of a bridge. Uh, it's such a beautiful shot, but it makes the picture, literally the, the, no sense. The famous picture of Fulci sitting in his director's chair on that bridge is like the best thing ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's so good. 
I just, wow. I love this fucking movie for sure. <laughs> it's one of my favorites of all time. I really do think it's kind of his masterpiece. I think I also like New York Ripper a ton as well, so I'm kind of torn between the two on a personal level. But I just think Mm. for all the things I love about Fulci, all the weird shit, all the strange nightmare stuff, the way that he sells you on things that just don't make sense, and then that ending, like that ending is so weirdly depressing and effective that like... I don't know. I just think this is his, and and not that that's a hot take. Every mid-level horror fan thinks The Beyond is the best Fulci movie, probably. You know what I mean? Like that's probably an obvious viewpoint. But for me, that doesn't change anything. I still think it's so good. So good. There was also another band that used the sequence where the girl gets shot in the face in their rock video. Uh, I think it was like Exhumed, like one of those gourd gore metal bands and the video is just that being played over and over in like slow motion <laughs> it's pretty it's good. crazy just saying just saying but yeah man fucking the beyond i love that movie it's i so like good. i like that the the also i like that the zombies in this movie and in gates of hell they're just shambling dead people it's it's yeah. they're not they're not gonna eat you really you know they're just sort of doing their thing you know, they they it's, they've yeah, it's unclear that they even have working mouths. Yeah, they have ill will towards you, that's for sure. But it's that's one hundred percent but it's yes. not like uh hey, we're in the Romero world, we gotta do Romero shit. You know, it's like its own thing. Yes, I agree. Man, I gotta say, like this these especially uh Gates of Hell and the Beyond were pretty formative movies for me as I got back into horror. Like, obviously, as I was a kid, I liked horror, but I didn't really know a lot of these international movies. I think the only sort of real international classic I saw as a kid was Suspiria. I don't think I saw any of these other Italian films, let alone other European shit, before that. And so, like, getting into Fulci in the early 2000s really sent me in a direction on horror movies. And it's kind of been like a weird sort of thing to experience in the sense that like not a lot of other directors have his combination of artsy, interpretive stuff. He has a visual language. He has a weird storytelling style. He has a lack of commitment to narrative continuity. (laughs) And then he also is doing crazy gore. There just aren't that many directors who can do both those things. And I kind of wish there were more because that's what sometimes I'm sort of coming to the thing for. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, buddy. I get it. I love it. All right. I don't know that we have much else to say other than that. Yeah, I think we're good, man. I think we uh, we, we hit the nail on the head, as a fellow says. <laughs> well, if, you, if so, for some reason you haven't seen these movies, you should definitely search them out and try to find the best copy you can because, as we said, there's, there's a lot of differences between the various transfers and stuff. And I just think he's such an amazing visual director that I want to see it the best quality I can. Right, right, right. Duly noted. Well, that about uh, does it. <laughs> wraps it I up. Like, this is the moment is there- where Josh forgets how the podcast ends. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Is there anything else that you want to lift up or hype up as we uh, round out this episode, Liam? Oh, uh, well, we premiered a new podcast uh, called Help for the Helpers uh, with Yay. our friend friend of the show, Dana Belletier. Um, I think it's it'll be an interesting show for anyone who's interested in hearing about folks' careers and how they got where they're at in the helping fields, whether that's mental health or social work or a variety of other things. Uh, but I think it is very specifically going to be useful for people who themselves are in various like, um, 
you know, uh, social service kind of jobs and are looking to, you know, take care of themselves a little bit, figure out how they're going to have some stability and how they're going to pay their bills and how they're going to not burn out. I think these conversations are really going to inform and encourage in those directions. Yeah. Also, I was a guest on the second one when I still worked in the hospital. So, you know, take that for what it's worth, listener. (laughs) Uh, Other than that, anything else you want to put up? No, that's it. Let's let's uh, wrap it on up. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Check out other podcasts on the show. Uh, check out the Patreon. Support LVAC and Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, put in our code for that discount. Let us know what the discount is. Uh, and really tell a friend about the show. We want to keep growing. And the more we grow, uh, the more we can offer new things. And so uh, that's only going to happen with your support and your uh, word of mouth. Also, if you want to pitch anything for Cineween, we got a bunch of October left. So feel free to reach out to us on the Twitters and on any other social medias. Uh, I guess that's it. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you guys soon. Smoke bomb. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!